0: I can't. I can't even lie to you, man. I'm. I'm a little nervous right now. Nervous. Um,
1: well, I know how you feel because two weeks ago I did the. Um, I sat in on the LL Cool J B C Boys uh, town hall that they did on Sirius, and it was my first Zoom experience. And it wow. was kind of weird because, like, I didn't know if they're going to ask me to ask a question. And I want to. <laughs> I want to come off like the dildos that they were choosing. You know what I mean? They were picking. They were picking some booty ass questions, and I was like, oh my god. <laughs> am I going to choke if they pick me and
0: fortunately, <laughs> they didn't pick me? Thank God. <laughs> well, you, I mean, you talked to LL Cool J, so he, I'm, he knows who you are. <laughs> but I don't, I don't make that.
1: <laughs> ever. oh, Cool Jay talks to yeah. a lot of people, LJ. So yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I would hope he would. That's somewhat of a unique name. I've talked, I think I've interviewed him like two or three times and um, yeah. uh, you know, I, I hope he would, but you never know.
0: <laughs> well, so for the audience, I'm, I'm sure everybody uh, recognizes your, iconic voice uh but uh if you don't that is uh drew grabo of drew grabo live on five the bone uh welcome to uh starving artist thanks man appreciate you having me it's an honor absolutely um before before i get into it i just want to you know tell you how amazing your show is oh go ahead i i, <laughs> <laughs> I uh i i started listening to your show when i was in 10th grade ish Um, I think I was, I think you were, you, it was towards the end of you being um, middays uh, Mm. before you went to afternoon drive and um, listen to your show every day to, to this day. Like, even if I'm working or something and I miss it, I I got the replay going. Um, I I, I love your show. Thanks, Um, man. And, and and honestly, like, so, I mean, you know, I'm an actor Um, and uh, so I I did a, I I wrote and directed a movie um, uh, just finished about a year ago. And, and and I got a lot of my creative inspiration from listening to your show. Uh, if I found myself in writer's block or wow. just, you know, kind of, kind of, like, even when editing the movie, like, I'd have your show, you know, I'd be listening to your show and uh, it would just help me kind of get through those uh, those moments. So Thanks, uh, your show has been, been incredible in my life. So thank you.
1: Dude, thank you. That means everything, man. When uh, the greatest compliment that someone can pay me is to tell me that our show serves a purpose for them. You know what I mean? Like, we yeah. so we sit in that room and talk to each other and we try to make a difference and we try to make mm-hmm. traffic better when there was traffic. Remember traffic?
0: Oh yeah, almost but, forgot.
1: But like to to inspire creative juices, uh, that's everything because I was a kid who got creativity from the radio as well. And you know, if, uh, yeah. if I was writing or if I was working on something, to hear a voice like turning nothing into something, I know how that mm-hmm. feels to inspire. So man, thank you. Like that means a lot.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So I mean, with that being said, I always start these things off uh, asking, where are you from? And what was that aha moment for you when you realized that that radio was what you wanted to do?
1: Man, um, I spent the first two years of my life in New York. Um, My parents met in New York City. My dad was going through medical school and my mom uh, was in nursing school. And so they met and then moved to Massachusetts when I was two. Um, my sister was born and then we lived there until 78. There was a blizzard in 78 that pushed us down to Orlando, Florida. And I spent (laughs) from, uh, yeah, I mean, he, my dad put in for a transfer and they were like Phoenix, Arizona or Orlando, Florida. And we had already been to Disney a couple of times. So we choose there. (laughs) And, um, from 78 until 2011, uh, I lived in Orlando and, um, that's, you know, where I cut my radio teeth. And uh, as far as an aha moment, then I moved to Tampa St. Pete in 2011 to complete that. But um, my aha moment should have occurred so much earlier in my life, man. I I should have paid closer attention to what I was passionate about. I would, um, starting when I was like six years old, I would interview myself on a tape recorder that my granny in Largo had. We'd spend boring ass summers in a mobile home park, Oak Crest mobile home park on Olmerton in Largo, doing with nothing to do, literally nothing. Mm. So um I'd interview myself as Muhammad Ali and Howard Cosell and <laughs> and then through the years I always loved radio I used to write down Casey Kasem's top 40 every week and compare mm-hmm. how songs had fallen and risen on the charts and then um I never ever thought that radio could be a career path I didn't mm-hmm. listen to my mom who told me find something you love to do and you know and and then the money will follow and um then one day i was driving home from uh, my girlfriend's house at ucf i used to listen to rollins college radio station they played really good indie rock and um i heard them make an announcement for uh for djs that they needed to volunteer while the students were uh, from rollins were back at home for the summer and i was like that sounds like it might be fun what the fuck you know and uh they had me come down and read news into a tape recorder to make sure i wasn't an idiot and uh, I guess I fooled him into thinking I was an idiot. Or I could just pronounce like, uh, you know, Shevard and Khrushchev or you know, Gorbachev or whatever. Yeah. And, um, and so they gave me a show. They said, go in there um, Thursday morning. You and this dude, Bill, you're going to be switching half hours. You'll do 8 to 11. You'll do 8 to 8.30. He'll do 8.30 to 9, blah, blah, blah. So I go in there. And um, honestly, man, from the it's so cliche. But like from that very first time that I sat at a board, And i played music and got to use my voice that was really like it was like heroin man it's uh, except like (laughs) instead of chasing the dragon where your hit is never as good as the first i think radio is the exact opposite uh, if you're doing it right i think every single time you do it you're trying to improve upon the time before and um it's like that for me to this day so probably 92 or so um that was uh that was my aha moment at Rollins college the voice of Rollins college the best in basement radio w p r k ninety one point five shout out <laughs> that's
0: amazing you know I would love to hear the um those cassette tapes from when you were six now you would love to hear those <laughs> uh,
1: it's funny it's a it's a very sore subject uh that I won't go into too much detail okay. but um the worst family strife I've ever been into is over those tapes because they do exist
0: uh-huh.
1: um but um you know uh put this, <laughs> how do I put this the right way my sister and I kind of disagree on whether I should play them on the radio or not she uh really? she kinda, <laughs> yeah she kind of thinks that I would I would make fun of her a little bit and her voice is adorable like she's got this we had Boston accents hardcore because we lived mm-hmm. in Framingham so mm-hmm. we'd talk we'd talk about like Magic Kingdom and shit and <laughs> I was like uh this is- Blue hippopotamus over there, like it was. It was really, really funny. And then my impressions were just as good then as they are now. So you can imagine what my Howard Cosell and Muhammad Ali sounded like.
0: Uh, that that that's I that's an that's an amazing story. So like coming coming um, from your internship there uh, or your volunteer or whatever it was, uh, what was your trajectory from there? Because you you stayed in Orlando, and did radio for a while.
1: Yeah. Um, so I was volunteering at Rollins and still not thinking about making a living doing it, just thinking how much fun it was. And that, you know, every semester they'd tell me, Hey, you know, sorry, the kids are coming back to college. We don't know if we'll have a, uh, a spot for you. And I would be like, mm-hmm. cool. Any spot you have, I don't care when it is. I'll take it two in the morning, seven night, whatever. And so every semester they'd find something for me, whether it was midnight to three or whatever. And I'd fill in all the time. And, um, you know, I was working at the time at the holiday, uh, different restaurant jobs. I then became a restaurant manager and then got the restaurant job of a lifetime for my age. At the time of my 20s, I was the assistant to the food and beverage director at the Holiday Inn by the Orlando Airport. And that was at the time my trajectory. You know what I mean? Like I thought that's where it was going to take me. I'm wearing a suit. I'm writing schedules. I'm running room service and bar and restaurant and all this shit. And then um, and then radio came along and some dude when I'm at Rollins calls me and says, uh, hey, um, have you ever thought about being paid to be on the radio? And I'm like, no, not really. And he said, well, you know, I'm starting to play alternative music on this talk station, Real Radio 104.1. And I'm like, that's my favorite station in the world. You know, I worship Jim Phillips. I have for years. And so he was like, uh, all right, well, you know, and I didn't believe him. I thought it was one of my friends fucking with me. So I put him through all these quizzes. I'm just like asking him everything about the station. He's getting them right. And he's like, dude, are you trying to talk me out of giving you a job? I'm like, make sure you're not fucking with me, man. And so, so, you know, I started playing music on the weekends there and then I met Ed Till, the midday Madman talk show host in uh, February of 1995. That was my first full time gig. And um, from there, worked at that station until 2005, got my ass fired, um, took a morning show on OROC 105.9 across town after I served out a three-month bullshit non-compete, which they make you do in radio. It's like, Mm -hmm. we don't want you, but we also don't want you to be able to make any money for other stations. Like, thank you. Because they'll lose all the listeners because the listeners love you. Right. (laughs) And like, then why are you getting rid of me? (laughs) Although I... (laughs) To be perfectly frank, I definitely deserve to be fired from Real Radio. Like, like looking back on it now, definitely yeah. they, they were definitely well within their rights. In fact, it was the right move to fire me. But at the time, you can't see that. You're blind to it. You're yeah. like, "Fuck this yeah. place, man." <laughs> um, so then I would go do mornings at O Rock 105.9, and did that for three years till 2008. And then um, man, they just flipped the format, which is the worst thing in radio because they fire everybody. They like have to re-image and all that shit. So they're like, well, you know, hope you guys had fun. 12 of us in a conference room, um, you know, Paul and HR will take your keys from you and we've got a severance for you and best of luck in your future. And so that was uh, January, I'm sorry, of 2008. And I was done, dude. I'm like, I'm never going to work in radio again. You don't get another chance Like, if you've been out for a while. Didn't even try to get another job in radio, to be honest with you, because it. I figured if it had broken my heart like that, I had given so much to it, only to have it taken away from a corporate decision. I don't want to put myself through that. I don't want to be the type of guy who moves his family across the country for a radio gig. And so I went to work for the Orlando Magic, selling season tickets um, after exploring some options in the food service industry. I waited tables for all cause I gotta make money, dude. Like literally I got fired on a fi- on a Friday morning. By Saturday night, I was waiting tables at a restaurant in town because I there's no you got a young kid and you gotta get that cheddar. And so um I then decided to try selling season tickets for Atlanta Magic. I had some friends in the organization and um I thought that was gonna be the rest of my life a sales guy and and two years in it killed me, like uh, literally the rejection. It's not made for a sensitive pussy like me. And so, you know, you make 100 outbound phone calls every day. 98 of them are no. And the other two are maybes who know they're not going to buy, but they want to feel, you know, wanted. So they fuck you mm. with for a while and clown you. <laughs> and then, um, you know, I was, I was at a dead end and I had no idea what, what was going to happen. And then a, literally a miracle happened if I were a religious person, which I'm not at all. I would, I would say that that was a miracle or a divine intervention or whatever. And I'm still not sure what it was other than the universe looking out for me and right. delivering me back, hopefully where I belong, which is back in radio. I, I came to Tampa and July, July 5th of 2011 was my first day. So that's my trajectory. That, Long answer. Sorry, LJ. No,
0: no, it's perfect. That is, um just how like you know like you said miraculous that was because you weren't seeking anything out it just kind of fell in your lap and and one of the things that that not only uh, that I love about your show but that I love about you as a person is is how grateful you are every day to be in radio it's something you talk about often it's something you, you I've seen you tweet about often and um it's it's just it's refreshing to to see somebody so open about um about how grateful and happy they are to be doing what they do, and uh, that's exciting to me, yeah, you get that
1: perspective only from losing it um, mm-hmm. I was uh, entitled in my early days I had success pretty early and it definitely went to my head and I wasn't prepared to be a leader I wasn't prepared to be anything even remotely considering open-minded I thought I knew I, you couldn't tell me shit i I you know didn't get any radio training I learned it all myself, so you couldn't tell me shit about radio and then um, being forced to be out of it for a while thinking you're never going to have it back again. Literally every day when I scan myself in, uh, I can't fucking believe that I'm back on the radio and that somebody is paying me. Like when I remember being with the magic and going to games and being in a suit and having to, talk to clients and then having somebody recognize me from the radio and then being like, Oh man, you know, you should be back on the radio. And I know they met well, it's like a super nice thing to say, but you know, you might as well just stab me in the knife. You know, like you got with a knife by saying that. Cause I'm like, yeah, I really should be, shouldn't I? And then, um, yeah, since then, man, like I've, I approached this with such gratitude and such perspective and guys who have never lost their radio gigs and been forced to be out of it for a while, um, I don't think they have that. Like, I, I truly think you take so much for granted. You can't help it uh, if you yeah. haven't lost it for a while. And but you don't know what there, you have until you lose it, dude. Exactly. And honestly, if I had not been out of radio th- those three years, I would be a completely different person right now—a garbage person. And I'd be one of those, yeah. you know, radio people who treat everybody around them like shit. And uh, and there are certainly those in our industry, man. And I understand it because. You get you get used to being told you're king shit, and that nobody mm-hmm. can tell you anything, and people kissing your ass all the time. Of course, it's gonna go to your head. So I'll never be like that again because I know what it's like to have to work a job and hump it, and
0: uh, it fucking sucks, man. I don't ever want to have to do yeah. that again. <laughs> you when you had mentioned um, people coming up to you at games and, and say, you should be on the radio." I identify with that because I work. You know, I work a, a day job at a, at a at a local hospital here in Pasco County with psych patients specifically. You can imagine the stories. Um, the I I all day I have I have, co- I have uh, uh coworkers coming up to me and saying, "Oh, why don't you act more? Like you you should do more work." You know, I would fucking love to. Right. I I audition ten times a week and get nothing. You know, you get you're lucky. Like uh, I think uh, Danny DeVito said it, you know. If you're lucky, if you get one audition, if you book one one job out of a hundred auditions, yeah, and, uh, and 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 that's just the truth. Um, it is. So when you found yourself sitting there uh, working for the Magic after you know being in radio for for several years, um, how, like were you were you sad or were you excited for? I mean, obviously you love radio, um, but were you kind of excited for something new at that time?
1: Uh, yeah honestly like I I really was excited for something new because that radio wasn't an option for me I felt like it was my calling but at the same time it just ripped every ounce of my heart and soul and so I was like I just can't do it so I actually um, called a friend of mine I'd consider him a mentor now at the time he he had a business relationship with him because I've been going to magic games for a while he was a vice president there and so I, I called him up and he was like, "Well." You know, I gotta be honest with you. I don't have any broadcasting positions. So I'm like, I'm not a broadcasting position, man. Like, I don't want to do that again. And he said, "Well, have you ever considered ticket sales." And I was like, "Well, like the dude who sits in the window and like tells you <laughs> your tickets." He goes, "No, no, no. You'd be like prospecting companies and you know, and okay. selling ticket packages and all that stuff." I'm like, "All right, you know, something new. I like new shit. You know what I mean? Like, I'll try. You know, I'd, I'd try lots of stuff. I used to work retail record stores, restaurants, everything. So." yeah i've never done it before it's a new skill i could try to acquire and um initially it was very invigorating because i was much older than the entry-level kids that were ticket sales reps and it's funny because actually today i posted on facebook it's a it's a 12-year facebook anniversary of this kid that i met the first day of training and we became friends immediately this most unlikely of friends he's like the six five texan blonde hair big ass (laughs) loud booming voice and I'm me and so uh, and I meet this dude the my first day of training and he's in my training class and we're both ticket sales reps and he gave me such a cool perspective on that job because it was his first one out of college and that's his first real world experience and there he is working with some 40 year old you know and uh, and, uh, it was it was good for him too and so because of that, you know, that in, that lifestyle was pretty damn cool. All the guys my mm-hmm. age were like these senior sales guys, the sharks who would like, you know, make all the money and shit. And um I uh I enjoyed it initially. Yeah, I did enjoy the the challenge, but eventually you're either cut yeah. out to be a salesperson or you're not. And that's yeah. a skill set that I admire and respect because I got to see it firsthand, but I also know that I definitely do not have. I love the building relationships part of it. Right. I hate the closing of the transaction part of it. That's when, because a relationship to me is authentic. You know what I mean? Like I'm not right. looking for anything from you if we have an authentic relationship. But with sales, it's a fake relationship because I'm like, yeah. oh, we got this thing. We got this in yeah. common. <laughs> and then you make the presumptive close. So, you know, how many tickets can I put you down for? And so that part of it, I, I didn't care for at all. And then, and then right. the, all the rejection, the overwhelming rejection is what found me at a point where I was just like, ugh. So then I started doing a podcast before podcasts were podcasts, right. and um, and that felt so weird. It felt like I was faking my way back into radio. Like mm-hmm. all my friends were still on the radio and shit, and I was talking to a computer with a buddy of mine in his bedroom with some mics that he had built into his walls. And yeah. bless him for doing it. I love you, Ryan. Like you, you kept you kept the dream barely alive for me. But it just it felt so weird. And then, um, and then, actually, I hate to uh, give him credit because he's such a fucking scumbag. But Bubba uh, put me <laughs> on it. Uh, he put me on his radio. Io um, Spice actually set the whole thing up. I didn't know uh, the mm. other guy at all, but I knew Spice and I knew he was a good dude. I love that guy right. to this day. And he called me and said, "Hey, we're putting together this uh, like you know radio thing on the internet. Um, would you want to do a show twice a month?" I was like all right, I mean, that sounds interesting. He's like, we can't pay you anything. I'm like, all right, but, but I mean, you know, kind of be, be weird, like being on the radio, right? And so uh, two Tuesdays a month, I'd make the drive from Orlando to Tampa and I'd go do this Radio IO thing. Um, and it was cool. Like, the, the i got to be honest with you, the fans were, were super supportive and super cool. And that kind of stoked a little fire in me to like start doing it again. You know what I mean? Like it was really, uh, it, it reminded me of what it was like and then um around that time is when uh is when shark the pd from 97x needed somebody to host mornings and so he he uh he reached out
0: to me which was great what was that 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 first day back uh full time in radio uh what what was that daylight for you like when so, you swiped your badge walking in yeah. what, what was that feeling
1: Man, I remember getting my ID, this is this is a funny story, this is so radio, like this this encapsulates, and for anyone who doesn't work in radio or doesn't know what it's all about, this is what radio is all about. So my first day back, they give me my ID, it's July 3rd, Monday, and they're flipping a format, they're changing uh, 101.5, the point, which was like 80s and shit. Uh, by the way, Jared from Subway's favorite radio station. Uh, he used to make okay. in- studio visits, and, uh, and and that was his favorite radio station. Before we found out, he was a fucking creep. He was, right, a, fucking, right. he was a great guy, <laughs> um, just like those uh, four-inch subs. A little too much, if you know what I mean. Uh, so um, sorry, that's the first time I have made that joke. I really hope it's the last two. <laughs> that was awful. Um, so we're I'm going up to see the launch of Hot 101.5. Like uh, like to see what that's all about. And I walk in the building and I go in the elevator and um, this lady's there named Corey Dillon. And um, she hates me now. And I'm not, I, I, I haven't been too nice to her. We, we used to do daytime together, but this was my yeah. first interaction with her.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, and so she, 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 she's crying, like we're going up in the elevator together and she's crying. And I'm like, Oh man. And she, and she goes, please tell me everything's going to be okay. And I was like, um, uh everything's gonna be fine i'm drew it's like i'm Corey dillon i go what station you work for And she's like uh The 5 the point and like i knew they were changing that to hot and right. i was just like oh, oh, oh fuck. <laughs> <laughs> so literally <laughs> i i'm going to the launch party and she's going to find out that the format has flipped which is what i j- literally just went through three years mm-hmm. ago which broke right. my heart out and i felt so bad for her. i'm just like oh my god like Literally, one door closes and another one opens, and there's the end mm. of the gang of it. So that was my first day back, and it was a, just such a brutal reminder. <laughs> Yet at the same time, I felt survivor's guilt that here I am watching the yeah. launch and mm. seeing all these people and meeting them. And so then we had July Fourth off, and then the next morning we started our morning show at five thirty. I think I was probably in the building by like two or two thirty because I was just <laughs> I couldn't wait to get to Ready work. You. Yeah, I'm like, come put me in. So that moment, that dead ass night, I probably set six different alarms and needed none of them. And then um, you, had to, you had to scan to get in the building itself because it was after hours. And I remember like swiping that and then beep, and then I'm in. And then you scan it again at the elevator, and then again when you go in the, build, in the studios. And I'm like, man, isn't this ever fucking great?
0: It was that uh, heroin like high you were talking about.
1: Totally was, man. Like I'm thinking like Sweet Jane by the Cowboy Junkies is playing and Mickey and Mallory and I are holding hands and we're ready to go murder yeah. radio.
0: What a beautiful relapse that was.
1: Oh, it surely was. I was John Travolta driving down the street in the beautiful Camaro that got keyed, you know, cooking up my my rig, I think, which is what they call it, on my spoon. Yeah. And it's still in my veins.
0: I don't want to go out of order here, but since you mentioned John Travolta, Amazing interview you did with him. I've listened to it several times. I I love that then.
1: I can't believe we got to do that. Um, Mm -hmm. That came about so suddenly and organically that it was just like the MCA interview I did in Orlando, which is my favorite interview of all time because I love the Beastie Boys. Um, But I'm sorry, I love Beastie Boys. It's not the Beastie Boys. I just committed like the (laughs) mortal Beastie Boys sin. If, if there's any message you get from this podcast, don't call them the Beastie Boys. They're the Beastie Boys, you fucks, okay? Um,
0: and watch the doc on Apple TV.
1: Right, right. It's brilliant. Um, although I have a unique observation on that that I'll tell you after I answer uh, this question. Um, so my friend Julia comes to me. She's the program director for Magic, and, uh, and Mike had interviewed uh, Olivia Newton-John that morning, and they were doing that greasing along. And she was like, would you want to talk to John Travolta uh, if I could get him? I'm like, do you, do you know me at all? And she's <laughs> like, okay, I just want to make sure, be flexible, it could happen at any time during your show. And I'm like, you know me, I'm, I'm gonna roll with the punches. If I have John fucking Travolta on my line, yeah, I'm gonna mm-hmm. talk to him. Yeah. And so near the end of the show, they were like, okay, after the show, 7.30, he's gonna call this number, blah, blah, blah. And I still couldn't believe it. And then um, when Senning and I went in the production room, and the phone rang and I picked up. It was, it was, you know, when you look at my life as a 50 year old male, one of my very first machismo role models was Vinnie Barbarino. I mean, you had Arthur Fonzarelli mm-hmm. and you had Vinnie Barberino, and that's who taught you how to be a man, you know? You're like, up your nose rub
0: a rubber hose. I and, own that box set, I, I love that. Welcome track. back, Cotter,
1: no shit. Yeah. Yeah,
0: absolutely. I remember. I uh, not to cut you off, but I um I remember I was uh, traveling. My I, my family's from Jersey, and we were going to visit some family in Jersey. We stopped in like South North Carolina at a Cracker Barrel, and uh, you know they have the the you know the the store there. They have some DVDs. Everyone they they saw. I saw Mark and Mindy. I saw Welcome Back, Cotter. And I was a grease fan, and I was, you know I got to buy this. And uh, I remember I I uh, I was a was, I don't know, probably 11, 12 years old at the time. And I had a portable DVD player for the drive to Jersey. And uh, I just, I, it was season one of welcome back Cotter. And I just, I burned through the, through it like up and down both ways. No I, so. I, I, How
1: did that land? Like, were you like, did it like all land well with you or is it, did it feel real dated?
0: So I, I, I don't know if it's because I, I started acting at eight years old and they kind of trained me to, to, uh, enjoy it as much as I can you know what I mean like to find the good in the you know so honestly I watching it I loved every second of it it didn't feel too old um but my my parents had had kind of you know I had watched Mork and Mindy with my dad I watched uh I mean this isn't quite as, as as you know it's not from the 70s but Seinfeld with my grandfather every night uh when I would be over at my grandparents house and uh, I just loved the the 70s, 80s, and, and 90s shows. So, so watching Welcome Back Cotter, uh, it was, it, it, Korsak, um, was just my favorite. He <laughs> was just incredible. Um, and then, you know, of course, like you said, Barbarino was just, that's that's the the definition of a man. You know what I mean?
1: Like. <laughs> oh yeah, dude. And Horseshack. I, uh, actually, the first and probably only fan letter I've ever wrote. Uh, they had Ron <laughs> Palillo, the actor who played Horseshack. Wow. They had his uh, his address in Dynamite magazine that I used to subscribe to. <laughs> and so I wrote him this fucking letter at like six, seven years old. Like, I think you're so funny, and he never, never responded to it. And so like when I got a little <laughs> older, I would wish death upon Horseshack, and then he did die. <laughs> Okay, oh <laughs> I know that I'm like, ha-ha, motherfucker, should have written me back. Uh, and but like, so Vinnie Barberino then goes on to be fucking Tony Monero in Saturday Night Fever, which I saw way too young because of my grandma. She's so irresponsible, rest in peace, I love you. But so irresponsibly took us to see that at way too young an age. Oh, yeah. such a film, and like, <laughs> my grandmother lived in Larchmont, New York, so we were going into mm-hmm. the city from the time I was four. And right. um, and we saw that movie in Larchmont. So like it hit so well with me in New York City and like I knew dudes who dressed like that and shit, mm-hmm. you know? And, um, and so I see that. And then he's Danny Zuko in Grease. Mm-hmm. I mean, he had so many, mo- and then Bud in Urban Cowboy. So like you can chart your evolution as a man to John Travolta's evolution as an actor. And then right. m- like most of us, he disappears after look who's talking and in your Mm twenties and your late teens, you're usually lost anyway. You know what I mean? So I was lost for a long time. And so was Travolta (laughs) doing forgettable movies. (laughs) And then to experience the, uh, the comeback in Pulp Fiction, the greatest film of all
0: time, of course. um, I was so disappointed. I just moved. I have a Pulp Fiction shirt. I was going to wear it for this. And no I can't shit. find it. I was pissed off. I can't oh, find it. Oh, so. I'm
1: glad you it would have like if you had found that though, then probably by cosmic fate, I probably would have worn one of my two Pulp Fiction shirts and then we would have looked like a couple <laughs> of fucking dorks doing a Quentin Tarantino <laughs> podcast, like let's talk about foot fetishes and Uba Thurman. Um but uh so like getting to talk to Travolta about all of that, yeah, like my I, we don't do a lot of interviews only because I can't pretend I'm interested in somebody. And if they come to me and they're <laughs> like, hey, um, you know, J- Burbiglia is coming to Side Splitters. you want to have him in studio? I'd probably be like, probably a talented guy, probably funny. People mm-hmm. love him, I guess. But yeah. no, I, I, yeah. I'm not going to have the kind of conversation with him that is going to be good for either one of us. I'll promote your yeah. gig, no problem. But what, what are we going to talk about? Right. So that's, I, you know, that's why I try to only talk to people, Bob Barker, uh, you mm-hmm. know, we talk to Martin Short, Travolta, when you get those chances, and you can really let them know what they meant to you. Mm-hmm. Most people who are in that field for the right reasons, appreciate that. And I could tell immediately that Travolta appreciated where I was coming from. And um, by the end of it, by the time we had walked through the whole Pulp Fiction uh, that was that was so great for me because I got to a thank him for giving me the gift of Vincent Vega in that movie, and then mm. B tell him he have him tell me the behind the scenes shit that he shared that I couldn't even you know that 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 was great man so thank you I, that was one yeah, of my of old, probably my number two interview of all time although. I would say that and Sasha Baron Cohen as Borat are probably tied for number two. <laughs> no, I'm going to put Travolta
0: ahead of that. Sasha okay. Baron Cohen number three. So how 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 soon after uh, that uh, interview with um, John Travolta did you rewatch Pulp Fiction to see it through his eyes? I would have done it as soon as I got home.
1: <laughs> yeah, it was it was definitely within a couple of weeks. That's one yeah. of those films that like. I don't ever set out to watch it, but mm-hmm. like it just happens to either be on or I'll get in the mood. Or when I was single, some girl that I dated wouldn't have seen it or something. I'm like, well, all right, I need to figure out if we're going to actually, you know, hang out again. So if you could just watch this and tell me what you think, you know, yeah. if the response is like, I just don't get it. Like, why are they in those clothes with the weird beach volleyball thing? Yeah. Okay, well, listen, you take it easy, I'm sure you'll yeah. have a good life with some stupid guy who's going to beat you.
0: Oh, God. <laughs> um, so, back to uh, back to you, you coming back to radio in Tampa, you were still living in Orlando, right, when you first came back full time?
1: Oh, man. Yeah. Um that so, drive's got to be horrendous whew. every day. So, um, another uh, episode of the universe looking out for me, I am... Um, we could not sell our house and, you know, I didn't know about my family and bringing them over here because my son at the time was what, uh, five, six years old, maybe. And um, my wife had at the time had a really good job and shit. And so I have a, one of my best friends uh, was in the Navy forever, uh, just retired. And he had his brother, who I knew since he was a little kid, and now actually a judge for Pasco County. Um, oh, wow. Had a had, yeah, I know, It was such a weird world. Yeah. Um, and his parents live like within a mile of my house now. Uh, mm-hmm. But he had an apartment slash condo that he had to rent out off of Manhattan by Gandy. It was super yeah. cheap. Like he 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 let me rent that for so ridiculously cheap. And so I would sleep there during the week. Mm-hmm. Um, but I would go because my son was young and still didn't understand the concept of like, dad's got to go to work in Tampa. And so I would go home literally once and sometimes twice during the week. So um, wow. that that I-4 to Tampa Drive is something like no matter how bad the bridge is on my way home, again, when we used to have traffic. Um, yeah. I'm so freaking glad that I don't have to like make that Orlando to Tampa. It's, it's rough. When I go see my parents now, they live in Orlando. Yeah. And every time I have to make the drive, I'm like, Oh, this fucking sucks. And then I think to myself, dude, you're making this drive both ways, f- three, four, sometimes yeah. five days a week.
0: And you know, it's not, not quite as, as, as long of a drive as that, but um, before going to the hospital full time, I was working, I was uh, I was a, a service manager at Sprouts Farmers Market Uh, in South Tampa. So I'm driving from, from, from Hudson to South Tampa five days a week, you know, that it's only, it was an hour and 10 from where I was living, an hour and 15, depending on traffic. Uh, And I was just, I was over it and, and they like to schedule me to close and then be right back at six in the morning. Uh, So I'm out, I'm out at midnight back at six. Uh, I just sleep in my car in the parking lot. There's no point in going home at that point. Uh, But so no, I, I, that that drive is, mine wasn't as bad as yours, but I didn't love any second of
1: it. No, and then like when I when I was doing it, I was doing mornings for 97X. So, you know, I had to be yeah. at work at like 3, 3.30. And so, mm. you know, I'd go put my son to bed at like 9.30, 10. Drive home, sleep for a little bit, you know. And, I, and then the next day, the day after, try to be there when he gets off of school and try to restore some sort of normalcy to his life. So that, that was a really, really tough year. Yeah. And then um finally by a miracle we sold our house. I again not a religious dude, but we yeah. took one of those Saint uh, Saint Christopher statues they tell you to like bury right. it upside down. <laughs> like within six hours of me burying it upside down in my front yard, we got an offer on our house and sold it and came over here to freaking beautiful West Chase, Florida.
0: That's amazing that's amazing so how how long were you at um 97x before the format flipped for the bone and you you went to middays uh with the format flip right
1: yeah i um i was actually at both for a while i did both for a couple months um it was like a little over a year and we could kind of feel something was up at 97X, like, the, it's such a, we had such a disadvantage because the transmitter was so much smaller than the other stations. Like, we don't talk mm-hmm. about this a lot, but 97X probably musically, definitely musically the coolest station I've ever worked for. But, like, one of the coolest music stations in the country. It is so tragic that that station underperforms because everyone with it. Dan Connolly, Jenna, like Sam, Danielle at the time, like the people with that station and Keith, who started it all on Shark, they are so passionate about all the right things, music and events and and giving like fans the opportunity to interact with artists and stuff. It's so tragic that that station underperformed like it did in the ratings. So sooner or later, you're gonna have to change things no matter how understanding your company is. And ours is very understanding. And so I remember like we knew something was up and I'm sitting there thinking, well, this is great. I, I get back into radio and here we go again. Mm-hmm. And then one one day Shark said, um, hey, man, I'm not saying that this is going to happen, but if we had an FM talk station, would you want to do a show on it? <laughs> I'm like, <laughs> I'm like uh, you pretty much wouldn't have to pay me any more money. And he was like, wait, what? <laughs> I said honestly, like if if you let me do FM talk again, because as happy as I was to be back in radio, when your sweet spot is talk radio and you've mm-hmm. got to play even three, four, five, six songs an hour, fuck, yeah. dude, like you're gonna make me sit through the Chili Peppers. Like, I, I, look, nothing. I love the Chili Peppers. I've loved them since yeah. I was a teenager but you're going to make me sit through Zephyr's song and you're going to make me sit through Linkin Park and you're going to make me sit through Mumford and Motherfucking Sons talking about, <laughs> well, it's not my focus <laughs> time. And I'm going, no, this is this is great. So that was, you know, so, yeah. and then you try to give a nice little five, six, seven bur- minute burst of content and take calls yeah. and shit. And then um, Shark was like, uh, you know, there's there's a rumor that they're thinking about taking the bone and, you know, and eliminating the music. I said, honestly, from a, from a listener, that'd be great. Cause I'm getting mm-hmm. a little tired of driving home, listening to Cowhead and getting into the flow, listening to him and Galvin and Spanish and Dinah at the time. And John yeah. Brennan, you know, one of my all time mm-hmm. favorite radio personalities yeah. <laughs> um, I have to six, he's my boss now. And uh, <laughs> he, um, I, and I was like, yeah, that'd be, that'd be great. And so um, they, uh, He's like, okay, noted. And then it was a couple of months after that when they said, okay, you know, if we were to give you a show on the bone, you know, what would be your your niche, your thing? I'm like, well, what do you mean? I'm like, well, you know, we got Bubba in the morning. We know what he's all about. Kelly in the afternoon. We know what he is about. Uh, Billy Madison, we'd put on, on you know, they do this crazy stuff where they shock nards, nads and all this stuff. And, um... <laughs> I was like all right let me think about that and so I went home thought and I'm like you know my sweet spot is really taking kind of controversial takes on current events and really pissing people off and like really mm-hmm. luring them in and just beating the fuck out of them you know you, you dangle yeah. that bait and then just <laughs> So I said, "What if we What if we called it like in your face with Drew Garabo and I were like it's just me versus callers mm. and like Oh my god, we fucking love it! Fuck yeah!" <laughs> so um, they gave me ten to noon, and um, I would go do my ninety seven X Morning X show from five thirty until nine fifty, like grab another cup of coffee, my second of the day, and then stroll down the hall to the Bone Studio where it just be me and my producer, Dick Rains, the namesake for Give Dick a Rest. And, um, and I did both. So it was like, uh, there was like a year and a couple months in the 97X. And then they finally said they were gonna let the, do the app on 97X where like, you know, let the listeners control the music. And so they didn't, they, they, Man, again, another testament to the company I work for, Cox, which is unlike any radio company I, I've ever worked for. They found a place for Danielle. They found a place for Seth. They found a place for for me. Fish works there now on doing yeah. afternoons or mornings on uh, on the Eagle. So, mm-hmm. like, they once they identify you as a as a, a value, they're going to yeah. find a place for you, and that's we'll unheard. Of you. Of you. Yeah, dude, no. and that's that's so yeah.
0: unheard of in radio. So, they... they I always hear. Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. Um, no, I always I always hear that. I, I, I still listen to Billy Madison, and, and they always talk about it, too, is that, you know, kind of similar to how you got your start, you know, when 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 a format is flipped or a show is, is out, you're kind of lost. And uh, so that's really amazing that they took care of all of you guys. Um, it is. And if, by the way, if, uh, if Billy had
1: not turned down – the job for morning, uh, the morning yeah. X, because they offered it to him. He auditioned. Seth yeah. didn't think it went well at all. Like they just didn't, they didn't mesh. He didn't think. And then Billy wanted to bring in his whole crew. He wanted to bring Derek Nard, you know, Chubs yeah, yeah. at the time. Everybody um, had he taken that gig, I'd probably still be selling season tickets for the Magic. Really? Yeah, it, oh, it was because wow. he turned it down. I didn't know it at the time, but it was because he said, "No, I'm going to stay here in San Antonio." that I was able mm. to come back to radio. So, you know, being on the same station was so weird and I'm still so happy yeah. for all those guys. Like Derek is one of my favorite people in or out of radio. Mm. Like what a
0: great dude. Yeah. yeah. The, you know, it, it, it's really interesting to me is that now nervous Jared is over there. He was at he was yeah. uh, another BDRA. one of my favorites. Oh yeah. Yeah. That when I saw that they announced that I couldn't have been more excited for him and happy just because like I said, I still listen to that show. So, it's kind of, now that they're off uh, the bone, it was kind of a, a little sweet spot to have them both, have them together, you know what I mean? Um, oh, I, know, I
1: definitely know what you mean, Jared. <laughs> uh, I met Jared, one of the first people I met over here. Uh, he was dating Erica at the time, who I, is still, she still does traffic for us, and she's still one of my yeah. favorite people. Like, among the first people I met, and I always always remember those times when I was so... Yeah, you know, I'm the new guy, but I'm 40. You know what I mean? Like I got the yeah. <laughs> I got the the new sheen of a kid, yet at the same time I'm some old. Dude
0: who's nice to me, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um. So you're being being with uh with um you know in your face with Drew Grabo, and then when you went to Afternoon Drive, uh, over the years there's been uh, some cast changes. So I, I, it always interested me because I think I think especially with talk radio you have to have chemistry with your, with your co-host. So when, when uh, somebody leaves for various reasons and you have new personalities come in, how hard is it for you as a host to adjust to that?
1: Um, it's not really that hard. I feel like you can put just about anybody in a room with me and I, and mm-hmm. I can do radio. You know what I mean? Like you, you right. could pull in anybody off the street or, or from wherever. And I, I can do it. Um, yeah, yeah. it's just, you need something special if it's going to if it's going to be sustainable um so like initially, when it was just me and Dick Raines, he had no aspirations of being on the or anything. He just wanted to screen phone calls, so yep. then they let me have Tuttle, who I knew from Orlando for a while, mm. who's such a unique entity when it comes to radio one of mm. definitely one of the most unique people I've ever met um so i i could work with him for a while and then they gave me kayla who came from a uh like a top 40 background and i always felt right. like that was her sweet spot so yeah. talk radio wasn't necessarily her forte so i tried to teach her what i could about about it yeah. um and i think i i did and she was really really good at it and then oh, yeah. she took the job in uh in <laughs> in Vegas which I think about sometimes and I'm like man like I always challenge myself when I look back at like shit that happened yeah. I'm like how could I have handled this better you know what I mean mm-hmm. like I always put it on yeah. myself like no matter how fucked up the situation was how could I have been a bigger person right. or how could I have handled this better but with her like we were friends like we weren't just like ra- like coworkers. like we were friends people would start rumors that we had hooked up but we never eat because i mean i guess that'll start when yeah. like you're eating donuts like together like yeah, that- you know, i guess i can understand where people would think right. that, but we knew the truth and like it was so mm-hmm. ridiculous to us but like she um she told me she was going on vacation and um, and I believed her, and then like I rem- like it was yesterday. I remember my girlfriend at the time and I went over to Spanish and Kelly's, mm-hmm. and uh, and we're sitting down, and Kelly said, uh, "Did you know that Kayla tried out for a radio show today?" And I just look at her. I'm like, "I'm like, what?" She goes, "Yeah, it's on Twitter." I'm like, "What?" And she showed me this clip, and it was literally Kayla sitting in with these dudes on a morning show, and I'm like. I- yeah, you know, <laughs> and, and, but now I'm like, maybe I could have made her more comfortable to say, "Hey, I'm gonna go try out for a top 20 market, and it's a great opportunity for me." Maybe she didn't feel comfortable sharing that with me, and maybe that's yeah. on me. I don't know. So, you know, obviously, I was pissed about that for a little bit, right. um, but, but not for the opportunity she had because that's yeah. fucking great. But like, you're proud. Right. Know, Right, right, like, if we were just coworkers, no, you didn't owe me shit, but like yeah. because we were I thought we were friends, that stung for a bit, totally get it now and and mm-hmm. definitely put at least thirty five percent on it on my inability <laughs> to be
0: receptive to such things,
1: and then I do um, have
0: to say your, yeah. your your uh your impersonation of uh was it uh Chet Buchanan? was that his name you're uh, <laughs> uh, you're your, i I never laughed so hard. Uh, when you would do those <laughs> impersonations and making fun of I forget what the radio show was called, but it, it, it was hilarious.
1: Oh, I don't remember it either. Was it the – I think she's still on it, right? I think it's like the morning zoo or something like that. <laughs> yeah, I, think it, I think it really is, like the zoo, yeah, yeah, I think the, so. the zookeeper or something. So, yeah, oh, my God. We killed – I'm sure he's the nicest guy in the world, but he was collateral <laughs> damage because, like, we oh, yeah. just killed him. Poor guy. Um so you know from that and then Gio was with me when she was with mm-hmm. me and then man Gio's such an interesting individual I was just talking to his sending about him mm-hmm. today like about how unique Gio is and um it was easy to work with him man he was yeah. uh he was just the ultimate straight man just like just yeah. you could you could bounce anything off him and then the more you would probe the more interesting things you would find out about him why he hated breakfast you know like what <laughs> he, he i still to this day do not know the name of his bird like he's he's got a bird yeah. and it's an fsu related name and that's all i know
0: um, i don't know why i vaguely remember um i vaguely remember something about him getting drunk uh, like uh, 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 and you guys and his talking gr- about it his on driveway. oh yeah
1: <laughs> oh yeah so,
0: so, two things like number one
1: he would call um, Seth and me on our fantasy football show and he would be drinking uh, in his car in his driveway <laughs> so he would not have to deal with family and then um, and then the thing you remember is mm-hmm. when he went to Tallahassee uh, yeah, and, yeah. and passed out with his periscope at the time <laughs> running and, and the dude he was staying with was banging his girlfriend in the bedroom and <laughs> Gio was like listening to it, but then passed out. And so like the whole periscope is this dude banging his girlfriend with Geo passed out. That's and
0: amazing so, radio. Oh, that,
1: was, that was phenomenal. That was such a gift. That's, I thank Gio for giving that to me. Um, and then Senning and I were actually talking about this too. My chronology here is kind of fuzzy because I believe at one time, at the same time in the studio it was me, Geo, mm-hmm. Seth, and Soul Brother Kevin. I'm almost positive that in the early days it was that combination of people. Yeah. And I will say, when you talk about chemistry, like mm. that's difficult because you have a lot of different mm. voices, mentalities, et cetera. So as a host, trying to cut through all of that and balance the right amount of everything. That was, that was challenging. Um, and so then Geo like left and it was me and Kevin and Seth. And then that also presented challenges. Um, yeah. They have different approaches to radio. Um, mm-hmm. Seth is a very methodical, let's plan a lot. Kevin is a very organic sniper, one of the yeah. funniest motherfuckers you're ever going to meet, see, or hear in your life.
0: I loved him on the Shannon Burke show. Uh, um, he was, was hysterical. And then, I mean, the the, the the magic that you two had together was just amazing. I, I loved every second of you two together.
1: Yeah, I like being with him. Um, Shannon sucks. There's just no other way for me to say that. Like, I'm sorry. I was trying to find a no, uh, professional, no. nice way to dance around that. Not just to, mm-hmm. as a radio personality, but like as yes. a human being. Like, like yeah. just a just a shitty guy and a shitty radio personality. And the and reason that comes it, through. Yeah, it does. That, like, like people can really tell that the forced, yeah. like bullshit, like mm-hmm. shut up her show. Uh, Try to forget about the fact that I shut up my wife on the side of the head while trying to shoot her dog. <laughs> Yeah, you're right. We shouldn't judge you by that, you fucking loser. Anyway, um, so hearing Kevin with him, yeah, I love Kevin so much. And he made that show Absolutely. almost listenable for me. Yeah. Like, I know you right, like, right, right, right. liked it and stuff, but for me, I could I like almost. like Kevin. Right, me too. And yeah, I love Kevin I like. so much that I could almost listen to Shannon because yeah. of Kevin. Not quite. Right but almost. And <laughs> yeah. so w- when they came to me and they were like, you know, hey, you know, what would you think about blah blah blah? And I'm like, well, yeah. if anything ever happened, obviously I'd love to work with Kevin. Like he right. like yeah. I've known him since real radio days. Like yeah. he's one of the funniest guys I've ever met. So when when he came on the show, I still think that probably if I was a better leader and communicator maybe I could have found a way to make it work with me, Seth Mm -hmm. and Kevin. I I don't know. It was just, it was just, I wasn't that great at it at the time. And then those, their differences in approaches and mentalities didn't make it any easier. So that, that had to change. And he's one of those people who's definitely both skilled at being that funny guy, but also skilled at being a host. So, you know, he, if you told me right now that I could go on a show and make someone else funny, that would feel weird for me because I feel like I'm a host and he feels the same way and he's right. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? He's really, really good at it. Um, And so like, you know, that got pretty behind the scenes, to be honest with you, got pretty bad um, for a while. That was, that was a lot rougher than we let on um, both personally and professionally. And so when that uh, when he got his own show and then it was me, Seth and Senning, um, you know, that felt at the time that like, okay, at least we got that figured out and now we can get on and do what we do. And we did for, you know, year, two years. And then, um, you know. Uh, <laughs> and then um, and then Seth's dissatisfaction with his position in radio in general and at the bone necessitated a change there and so that led to what i consider now to be the most genuinely fun yeah. organic beautiful magical Experience I've ever had, and that's working with John Senning.
0: Well, one of the one of the um, the reasons I love your show, uh, same reason why I love Billy Madison's show, uh, and honestly, I mean a lot of the shows at the Bone, and of course Mike Alter's show, uh, is 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 it, you, you can sense, especially now, a true kinship, um, and and you can tell that you're having fun, and it's not forced, and that's I think what makes uh, good radio.
1: Yeah. I, I totally agree. Um, you don't have to love each other. Uh you can make radio work if mm. you respect each other. Um oh, yeah, for sure. And for a long time, um we made it work. Like we, me, Seth, and John, we we really made it work. And there were moments when it was great, and there were moments when off the air it wasn't so great, but as soon as the microphones go on you all know that you have to put that bullshit aside and and go out there and and deliver great shit um but for like right now there is just such this vibe of i genuinely care for john and he genuinely cares for me and there's no there's no bullshit there's no negativity there's no anything but like let's challenge each other to be the best people and radio personalities that we can be and to be able to work in that environment and hope that people can pick up on that, is, that's the best thing ever, man. I can't, I can't believe that we get to do it. And when Mike is in there on Mondays and Fridays, like to see her evolution as a person yeah. and a radio personality, and to have helped her along that path from where I met her, is that's, uh, that's astonishing too. It's great.
0: I mean, I remember before she was on the show here and her on Drew Grabo and Censored, uh, and, and I loved her from, from there. I knew that she'd be great with you guys. Um, she's Her cackle is infectious. I love it.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, um, when we had her on the podcast, I didn't know her all that well. Um, right. I'd worked some events from her. She was one of those people who immediately I'd vibe with her um, personally, but I didn't know that much about her. I just, I don't, and I don't follow wrestling. So I wasn't really, you know, yeah. I didn't know. I knew the name Mike Rotunda. I'd grown up watching wrestling right. in the eighties. And so um, we had a couple of conversations and she seemed nice and we were friends. And then when Seth and I had her on that podcast, um, she blew my mind like to find out that when she was 15, she was like 250 pounds and she worked her way through that and see the person that she's become. She's, she's truly something special. Like she has that thing that, that, and I, I feel really fortunate yet confused that she's still on with us two days a week because I sincerely thought that by now she'd be a global brand even more than her brother. Like I, she, yeah. like her brother's tremendously charismatic. Don't get me wrong. Like I love what he does. And outside the ring, I've seen the entertainment shit that he does and it's incredible, but like she's got that plus that yeah. something special. And so you know, that, that, it's fantastic. And, and her and John, both, mm-hmm. you know, the, the Beastie Boys say it in the Beastie Boys story. Um, to be able to go to work with your two best friends, like mm-hmm. there's nothing like that. So to be back in radio and then every day to be five days a week with this dude who I consider to be the warmest, most genuine, deserving human being I've met And then Micah on top of that two days a week, I just, uh, everything I've experienced so far has, has led me to this, you know?
0: Yeah. I've always loved John, even before he was John sending of drew gravel live. but when he was promo John Uh, I love when you guys would bring him in and talk to him. And uh, when, when I don't even remember how long ago this was, but, when he, uh, when he drove uh, Seth over the Skyway. That was just hysterical. Um, you, can you tell I listen to your show every day? Uh, <laughs> Thank you. That's awesome, dude. And honestly, he
1: was there for my first ever Uber ride. Like It was when Uber was first a thing. And um, we decided I was going to take an Uber ride on the air. So we got Promo John to do it. And we were in the back of a lady's uh, Uber minivan and she did not want to be on the radio. And so, like the bit would have Die. Like, if it had been anybody else, I would have been yeah. the window with my microphone because, like, <laughs> he wasn't talking to me. And then we go through Starbucks. Yeah. The dude wouldn't talk. The fucking kilt-wearing freak wouldn't talk to me at Starbucks. <laughs> wouldn't <laughs> talk to me And so if it was anybody else, I would have been so mad. But because John was there with me yeah. in those early days, like, what, four or five years ago before I even knew him, yeah. um, of course it was going to be this way, you know? And, and he's, he's yeah. a gem. He is a gem. I
0: I think you have a way about you and just I seeing the cast changes throughout the year. I think you have a way about you of making other people better. And um and and, and as much as I love seeing John uh, seeing you, John and Micah together, you're making them better as as time goes on. And um and and I think it's you know, see uh, seeing John host a show in the future is gonna be amazing. Seeing Micah become a superstar will be amazing. And, uh, and, and and I'm sure that they do, but they have the credit
1: to you. Um, that's nice of you to say. Um, <laughs> it is it is a goal of mine. And um, as with most things in my life, I learned it from a from a unfortunate situation, a bad place. My co-host in Orlando, Daniel Dennis, who has a uh, podcast called A Mediocre Time. Uh, you should definitely check it out. A Mediocre okay. Time with Tom and Dan. Um, he was my producer, my co-host, my best friend. My John Sending. before. John Sending was John Sending, okay. except... I was in my 20s, and so was he. I was really fucking egotistical and irresponsible. I gave no shits. And we didn't know the boundaries between friendship and work. So literally, I was we were doing nights together, 7 p.m. until 11 p.m. He would come over around one or two. We'd get high and play NFL Blitz mm-hmm. until like 6, go up to the station, plan our show from 6 to 6.30, Go over and get high at our friend Chris's house till 6:45, come back, do our show. Mm. And like we would be together nonstop. Sometimes after the show, we'd hang out too. And so, like, yeah. I took him for granted. When he started to get really good, it threatened me at the time. I was instead of seeing it as making the show better, I was so stupid, pig-headed, narcissistic, and insecure that I was like oh my God, all the attention's on him. I, you know, that that threatens me. And so we had a falling out and he went to work with the Monsters and we didn't talk for a couple of years. And I think back to that and the mis- missteps that I made. And so, uh, you know, I'd like to both atone for that and help really talented people reach where they want to be. And John is, while he's such a great co-host for me and the beautiful yin to my yang, um, he's a host. Like when I listen to him on the radio, he has that thing. So I can help him learn from the mistakes that I've made for the next, however many years I have with him and then turn him loose on the radio world and, and let him be the greatest radio personality of all time.
0: Yeah. And that, I mean, that's, it's kind of, you know, I don't, I don't know if this was a great comparison, but um, you know, seeing these, these different personalities that you've helped, um, groom and 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 cultivate and you know uh, it's kind of and when seeing them go off and do other things it's kind of be like, got to be like looking at your son and and being proud of your child. No, you know? it
1: is. That's that's a <laughs> great comparison. I mean, that's exactly what it is. It's like uh, I feel like I've served my purpose for their life. I I have a thing where I hate being a detriment to people, and there are certainly people in my professional and personal life whose lives were not left better for me, for knowing me. Um, and I hate that. Like, that's my number one uh, pet peeve about myself is, is not leaving anyone's life better for having met me. And so I want, even with Kayla, like she's been killing it out in Vegas and no matter how it went down or anything, um, I'm so happy that she's out there and I'm so proud of what she's doing. And, you know, the same thing with Gio, who's now with Calta, you know, and, and you know, and I want everyone who's been working with me to do something better once we're no longer. So And look at Danielle. I mean, holy shit. Like what a, what a radio superstar she is and crushing it on magic. So one day Mike is going to do what she's going to do. And, you know, John who fills in for hosting duties now, I mean, he's doing Roger and JP on Monday with Monica. Um, That's, you know, I'm, I'm going to cling on to him for as long as I can, but yeah. not, at, not at the expense of his own success. Right. I, you know, once he's ready yeah. to start getting aid, because we got him full time, <laughs> which was nice in December. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. once he, once he's ready to start really making radio checks, it's going right. to be nice to be
0: able to say, like, I had any kind of part in that, you know? Yeah. Well, I think you've you've accomplished a lot and have a lot to be proud of in, in your radio career. Um, so before we wrap it up, I, I do like to ask... Um, if there's any, you know, up and coming uh, people who want to get into radio um, and maybe they're discouraged, maybe they're just not. But, hey, I'll, I'll say this. I applied uh, to, for uh, promotions at Cox. I, I, I got discouraged when I was informed that I wasn't selected for an interview. But, you know, there, there's, there's definitely people who, who are, are trying their best to get involved. So what uh, advice, if any, could you give uh, to somebody who may be discouraged?
1: Yeah, no, that's, that's the right route that you took and that sucks. That's odd that you wouldn't, uh, that that wouldn't happen because we have, uh, we have opportunities there and that's honestly the best way you can get into it. So I, if you're yeah. looking to do it, I would reapply because Olivero who heads up their promotions, uh, is a phenomenal human being. He's a guy who really, truly takes pride in making the people around him better, you know, and, yeah. um, there was a while where, where people in the podcast realm would want you to believe that radio is dying and it's some medium right. that, but I mean, right now, especially with what's going on, which we've managed to avoid talking about for the, the however many five hours that we've been talking, um, <laughs> you know, that it's yeah. vital. Like people are turning to us more than ever. Like more, yeah. more people are relying upon local live radio. So I, I think it's going to be something that's vibrant and vital for a long time. Um, yeah. I would say apply for promotions jobs. There are no longer internships for whatever reason. Like you used to be able to not even necessarily get school credit, but like just be an intern and, and like yeah. a show, and show up. And um, now I think like working promotions gigs and just building those relationships, all it takes is you doing either something stupid or something like bizarre or whatever. And then a host like Mike or me or whatever brings you in and does a bit on you and the next thing you know, you earn the trust of someone like that. And, and you know, I think Ryan Hoppy is a really good example. I think, you know, yeah. he takes a lot of shit um, and he's been grinding it out for years and years and years and he's still tight with all of us. He is beautifully himself. And, um, and he's a good example of how you can get a gig in promotions, meet the right people, and get people to you know to go towards your podcast so i would say also do that like talk do do these things like what you're doing right now you're you're putting in the reps like that's that's how you get good at this shit. you've been phenomenal during this conversation like you thank you your 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 pacing has been good your questions have been great like you you're good at what you do and the more you do that the the even better you're gonna be and so
0: you know when you do that shit, people will take notice I really appreciate you saying that, uh look, talking to you has been absolutely incredible. We met almost a year ago was it i well, it was my birthday, so I know the day uh um you know uh, you're an ambassador uh, for bush Gardens, and you were gracious enough to walk me in on my birthday and uh that you know i remember um I remember you know even being nervous to just meet you at the park. Uh, like I said, you're, you're iconic to me. So, um, you know, that was very nice of you to to walk me in on my birthday and, uh, and, and I've been, I've been grateful. You followed me on Twitter and we've, you know, communicated back and forth every once in a while. And, uh, and, and, you know, I'm very grateful for that. So, so thank you for being who you are. Thank you for hopping on the podcast. Uh, you've been incredible and, uh, I really appreciate you.
1: Dude, thank you. That was a fun day. I used to love uh, back when we got to do stuff. Uh, I uh, I used to love walking people into bush gardens, man. Like I really, really got off on that to be able to help people who could maybe afford it but it'd be a pain in the ass uh to be able to help them avoid that uh that ticket uh entry was was pretty freaking sweet and i loved that dude and and honestly it's been uh it's been a pleasure man i wish you know you're a talented dude you're a charismatic guy and that right avenue is going to appear in front of you man so keep doing exactly what you're doing and stay positive man don't get discouraged
0: thank you so much man and hopefully you come back there there's obviously more to talk about with all your charities and everything. So hopefully uh, you'll come back one day soon. Absolutely, man. Anytime you want me. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. So with that being said, this has been Starving Artist. Uh, Drew, thank you. And uh, we'll catch you guys next time.